0: friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and the greatest of emergency medicine, where we make keeping up on the literature easy by spoon-feeding it to you. If you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, all good articles, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember, we never want money to be a problem, so if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, get in touch. We'll help you out. Also, it's really cheap for residents. This is the audio version of the past week's summaries, which were brought to you by our authors Megan Hilbert, Jason Lesnick, Caitlin Nicholson, Ketan Patel, and of course, Clay Smith. And so I bring you the first article titled Comparative Effectiveness of First-Line and Alternative Antibiotic Regimes in Hospitalized Patients with Non-Severe community-acquired pneumonia, a multi-center retrospective cohort study out of the journal CHEST. All right, last week we talked about community-acquired pneumonia, CAP. What well, we talked about severe CAP. Now we're talking about not-so-severe CAP. I mean, still pretty severe CAP because these patients had to be admitted, but not so severe that they required respiratory support. Here's the question, as always, what antibiotics do we give these patients? These authors looked retrospectively at four common options— Beta-lactams with a macrolide, beta-lactams alone, a respiratory fluoroquinolone, or a beta-lactam with doxycycline. This should not be really novel information since we know that covering for atypicals is important, but giving only a beta-lactam was associated with higher in-hospital mortality and adjusted risk difference of 1.5%, as well as longer time to discharge. Oddly, it didn't increase the mortality by having more adverse effects somehow, which included transfers to ICU and cardiac arrests. So I'm not sure exactly what the trajectory was of these patients who were dying more often, but alas. And it was a small difference. Needed a big sample size of more than 23,000 patients to detect it, but it is there nonetheless. So the bottom line is that you have to cover for atypicals in sick patients with community-acquired pneumonia. A beta-lactam-alone approach is worse for your patients. In a spoonful, a beta-lactam-alone treatment approach for hospitalized, community-acquired pneumonia patients was associated with higher mortality rates. This fits with other data along the same lines. And then we jump to the fifth article, titled Association of Small Adult Ventilation Bags with Return of Spontaneous Circulation in Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest out of the Journal Resuscitation. You know when you're standing outside the crash room and you're watching because it's being handled just fine without you and there are already too many people in the room anyways, so you just watch and you nitpick a little bit about things that you pretend wouldn't be happening if you were the one running that resuscitation. Don't pretend. You do it too. Anyways, one such thing that you could be picky about is how hard someone is squeezing the bag to deliver the tidal volume to those patients. I was always taught not to freak out when you're squeezing that bag. Just calm down. Don't squeeze too fast. And even though the bag is more than a liter, you only need to deliver five to six hundred milliliters per breath during CPR. So why give people the option to give more? Why give them that big bag? Why not just give them a smaller bag? Even though the recommendations for those volumes are uh, not really based on that much. So what happens when EMS doesn't get a normal-sized bag? Instead, smaller bags. Better ventilation, we know, means better rates of ROSC. Remember, we covered a paper on that just a month ago. The EMS system in this study switched over to using a smaller bag, a mercury medical small adult CPR bag, if you're wondering, the product page for which is very similar to everything I've just said. They seem pretty confident that the smaller bag would be better to avoid overventilation in patients. This creates kind of a natural experiment. You can compare OCA outcomes before and after the introduction of these small bags. Now, despite all the solid logic I just laid down, achievement of ROSC upon hospital arrival was lower in the small bag group by a pretty significant amount—seven percent absolute difference, 33 versus 40 percent. Even after adjusting for age, sex, witnessed arrests, delivery of bystander CPR, and initial rhythms, nothing changed. The biggest gripe that I have with this is that we don't actually know anything about the ventilation itself. Were the volumes lower? I don't know. Was there not teaching on how to use these new bags or people using them like the old bags and then only squeezing them a little bit so they didn't get very big breaths? I don't know. This sure raises some questions and perhaps requires a better look. A 7% absolute difference in ROSC is pretty big. In the meantime, though, we should probably just focus on getting those good compressions in and being mindful to optimize ventilation with whatever tools you happen to have on hand. In a spoonful, Bigger might not be better for EMS ventilation bags. Okay, that wraps up our five articles of what did we learn today. From the first article, a beta time on its own simply isn't enough for some cases of community-acquired pneumonia. And this was associated with higher in-hospital mortality rates. Then from the fifth article, an interesting study which showed that smaller ventilation bags are perhaps harmful. Again, if you're hearing this right now, then you are not a part of the member's feed, and so you missed three articles from this past week. One looked at, should we test all the kids who come in with gastroenteritis symptoms? Another looked at new guidelines for AFib. And lastly, we we're recovering inequalities in the Pediatric Emergency Department. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized, negative-spaced repetition that keeps you smarter. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.